Welcome back to Arts About. A show about art that's a work of art in itself. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, John. Good morning, John. Good morning, morning, morning Mark. Arts About is, of course, brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here in the RPP studios with us, artist-in-residence and cultural sounding board, John Baird, thermodynamic Mark Stewart, and me, as always, Sally Bailey. Tirelessly. Tirelessly, thank you, yes. Now, this is our last show for, uh, this is our last live show for the year. Don't, listen, listeners, don't think we won't be presenting to you for the next little while, but we're not actually going to be recording quite so live for a few weeks. We're having a bit of a holiday. I'm going to India with my daughter for the end of school. Mm, I'm going to Turong. Ah, that'll be lovely. And John? I'm going to the Alfred Hospital, I think. <laughs> anyway, so Will and Swanee are going to be returning with their hilarious Arts About Light summertime series which is going to take us to Christmas and after that we've put together a series of stories and interviews we have run that we think deserve another listen and we'll return ourselves in person late January with Arts About Live, Refreshed and Enthusiastic. So, on with this program for the year. What are you going to be on about this time, John? A uh, piece of fabric. Oh, Is there such a thing dull? as French brocade? Brocade? Yes. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. there is. A piece of French brocade. Mm, okay, what sounds I'm talk fascinating. About. <laughs> <laughs> sounds really dull, doesn't it? I can't wait to get to. Is that it? <laughs> what about you, Mark? Oh, I've got a bit of an, another mix of. Um, uh, fortunately, one of us here goes and sees some exhibitions. Yeah, so. that is. It is okay. lucky. He's it having a lucky. bit of a dig at me because I didn't go and see some stupid show that. We'll be no, no, it wasn't that bad, John. Uh, that and petrol prices. I'm going to be speaking. About Oh, yeah, that's oh, yeah. good. And, that's uh, almost as dull as um, John's fabric. No, no, you're going to learn something. Soon, oh, am I? So, okay, so all right. You'll enjoy that. And uh, bio, biology. Okay. All right, well, that's good. Uh, also, on the program, we're going to be talking with Emily Siddons, and she is the producer uh, from the team at the Museums of Victoria uh, about the Mandela exhibition that's open there at the moment and that runs all through summer. I'm also going to play a story that Will and Gabe did about Ern Malley because I've missed them. It's a great story. And I also heard that uh, local fringe uh, well, musician from Melbourne, Peter Lilly, who, who sang a song about Ern Malley, has died just in the last couple of weeks. No, he died some time ago. Oh. Hmm. Oh, did he? I yep. thought he'd only recently... As, in, as long ago as a couple of years ago. What? Did Peter, he have a moustache? Peter Lilly. Oh, there we are. I've completely got my facts completely wrong. Moustache? Yeah. Uh, when he grew one, he had one, I suppose. Yeah. 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 Like his brother, He had a Dennis. variety of... Dennis him. Lilly had a great Ah, uh, yeah, this Dennis Lilly thing. Yeah, yeah I'm so yeah. obsessed with it. Moving. Okay, let's move on. Um, all right, well, I've got that completely wrong, but I'm still going to play Ern Malley because it's such a funny story mm. and we haven't heard it for a while. Uh, so before we get into it, I'm going to play... And, oh, this is the other thing. David Byrne has just been here in Melbourne. Did you know that? No. I didn't know that either. He's just done he, he's done a, a performance in each state, I think, and we missed it last week. Mm. Uh, he did one here. It would have been wonderful. Mm. So in I knew he was around because I heard Billy Bragg, who is also in Melbourne, saying that he was off to see David Byrne. Oh, I would so <laughs> love to see yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway, we did Burning completely miss house. it. Huh? Burning yeah. Down the House with David Byrne. But I'm going to play... Um, You're not going to play that? No, I'm not going to play that. I'm going to play Here's Sugar on My Tongue. Do you know that one? No, oh. David Byrne. It's from their Talking Heads uh, 77 album. 
the exhibition Mandela, My Life is on at the Melbourne Museum over summer, running until March the 3rd and giving visitors a very personal glimpse into the life of Nelson Mandela. Known as the father of a nation, he was a controversial figure for much of his life and is widely regarded as an icon of democracy and social justice, receiving more than 250 honours and the Nobel Peace Prize in his, in his career. Uh, the exhibition, produced by IEC Exhibitions and TEG Live and Musics Victoria in collaboration with the Nelson Mandela Foundation of South Africa, um, has opened exclusively in Melbourne before embarking on a five-year world tour. Uh, it's been curated by a team of the Melbourne Victoria staff. And to talk to us a little bit about that today, I have Emily Siddons, who's the producer of the exhibition. Good morning, Emily. Thanks for talking to us on Arts About. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, Emily, um, it's a fascinating, he was a fascinating and very important figure in the world. What are we going to learn about Nelson Mandela that we might not already know from his much reported upon life? Well, I think our goal with creating this experience is really to showcase not just the public life of Nelson Mandela that the world has come to know, but also the really private um, story of Nelson Mandela and also the journey that he went on uh, from his childhood in Kuno and listening to the elders of his community talking about um, stories of battles and um, of, of the village. But through to his political awakening that he experienced in Johannesburg living under the apartheid regime and his life journey uh, where he was dubbed the Black Pimpernel um, and all of these really key moments that lead up to his moment as president and as the Tata figure that the world uh, you know, more recently recognises. Mm, and not to forget 27 years in prison. Yes, exactly. And really wanting to explore that period in, in, in detail. So we have uh, created experiences where we have divided each of the cells um, that we've replicated on the dimensions of his actual cell uh, and broken that down into uh, different themes of what he was enduring at that time. Um, it was such a complex period of his life. It was really um, a period of growth and, you know, wanting to showcase that period of growth and his experiences over that 27-year period with the global mobilisation and what was happening um, in the world around him in order to help mobilise that change for South Africa and the ultimate release of, of him and his fellow prisoners. So there's 10 galleries of objects uh, fleshing out his life. Um, tell us a little bit about the exhibition itself. What, what are we going to see at the exhibition? So in thinking about creating this exhibition, we wanted to um, create an experience that was very evocative and very emotive. And so it not only has over 200 objects uh, that were you know, personal belongings um, of Mandela's that we uh, curated from different collections in South Africa, but we also created these highly immersive and cinematic experiences because uh, we, we were really fortunate with the amount of content we had to work with. Obviously, Mandela being a public figure, being so widely documented and being such a talented writer and works with himself, we wanted to take his own voice and his own writings and draw on a first-person narrative to let him tell his story um, and take visitors on that journey throughout his life. So it really is a really uh, a wonderful combination of these immersive theatrical um, uh, experiences uh, where you feel like you're hearing his story from him telling it to you and then also seeing these beautiful objects, rich objects um, that belong to him throughout his life. And of course there's going to be quite a lot of multimedia in there. I think we're going to hear uh, some of his speeches, aren't we? 
Oh, sorry, I've just lost you there. That's, uh, I think there's, there's multimedia, big multimedia uh, part of this. We're actually going to be hearing some of his really important speeches, aren't we? Yeah, so the main uh, cinematic experience, which is actually what visitors first encounter in the exhibition, uh, transports them to the famous Rivonia trial um, of 1964. And this is that key moment where Mandela put apartheid on trial and uh, very powerfully said that he was prepared to die for the cause of his people for, to fight for freedom and equality. And uh, so this very powerful and original recording, which we managed to recover um, from uh, some newly digitised archives, um, takes us into that moment in the courtroom where Mandela is delivering this very powerful speech. Extraordinary. Um, He was a hero to so many people. Who's collected all of these artefacts? So it's a combination. So we worked very closely with the Nelson Mandela Foundation and uh, this foundation was established by Mandela and still continues today in very important, powerful work. And they have such an amazing collection um, of his that he donated to the foundation. Uh, So some of these objects um, we created replicas of that were so precious that they're irreplaceable and unable to leave the country. But then we've also secured a number of original artifacts as well from different um, collectors who worked very uh, closely with Mandela, who had personal relationships with him, and um, you know, because of that, have accumulated really amazing um, writings of his and his beautiful um, Madiba shirts, those colourful shirts he was renowned for. So, mm. um, these he had so many close personal connections that we were able to recover um, these really wonderful objects that belonged to him throughout his life. How did this? How did it come together? Who who developed the concept? Was it something? Uh, was it, was it the Mandela Foundation? Did they approach you? How how did it happen? So it was very much a collaboration. Um, IEC uh, exhibitions actually came to us with the idea. Um, they had formed a relationship with the foundation, and they wanted to. Um, tell or create a new experience about the life of Nelson Mandela to coincide with the centenary year uh, from his birth. So we thought it was a wonderful idea and jumped at the opportunity and assembled a team that went over to South Africa and went and worked very closely with the Nelson Mandela Foundation the expertise over there. And many of whom uh, worked with Mandela throughout his life. Um, so the expertise and the knowledge and the depth of content that they had over there was, was quite remarkable. So it really was uh, using our resources and our knowledge and our skills in creating experiences and drawing on the knowledge and the resources um, of the foundation to work together to create um, you know, an exhibition that can now tour worldwide. How long ago did it start? Because I mean, I'm, with Melbourne is the beginning of the tour and it's going to run for five years. My guess is it's probably taken about that long to pull this together, has it? Um, in theory, no, it was quite quick, actually. We, um, it was only a couple of years from the initial uh, conception through to the development uh, experience. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it, it was quite a fast and furious, but a, a really wonderful collaboration and just so much generosity from everyone involved. Well, it's a, he is an incredible subject matter, um, and uh, I think I'm, I'm sure that there would be a lot of people who'd be very interested to learn a little bit more. It's amazing an opportunity, really, to get a little closer to this incredible story of a man who really created history and affected the lives of so many Africans, but also um, sensibilities around the world. I think I think he was a really a pivotal uh, character mm-hmm. in in a very big cultural shift. Emily. 
Um, yes, hi. Uh, my name's John. I'm curious to know uh, whether or not you've included any uh, footage of the bewildering conclusion to Nelson Mandela's um, journey on the earth, where he, at his funeral there was a, uh, a man who, parading as a, signed, a signer, was uh, doing signing for deaf people standing next to him, but in fact just making it up. <laughs> yes, I mean, it was. Uh, we we have definitely included a section of it. Farewell, final journey, um, and I think you know he is so widely documented, and there was so much media content. It really was a process to narrow down what we would include. And I think the consensus of everyone involved was, you know, what was the most powerful moment of that final journey? And for us, it was a combination of that um, procession and return to country because um, it really was so meaningful, that return to Kunu, uh, where he grew up. And he, he revisited Kunu and his original country, you know, for, for so, you know, so many years throughout his life. And so that return to country and that procession with all of the elders in the community, we felt was a really lovely ending to that story. Um, but then also we've paired that with um, 95 phone messages because on his passing, they set up a, um, a voicemail um, service where you could leave a tribute message to him and 95,000 messages were left wow. around the world. Uh, so we sifted through all of these messages and found some really meaningful um, tributes from, in different languages from all over the world. So that's paired with that content. But yeah, certainly the, the choices are endless and we could have we could have had the entire procession of all those you know, moments um, that went along with it. Fantastic. Well, the exhibition Mandela My Life is running at the Melbourne Museum through until March the 3rd, so it's open all through summer. We actually have a, a double pass to give away to some of our lucky listeners. Um, if you, uh, so if you're listening to this and you'd like to go along, we have tickets for this. If you're the first one to contact us at the Arts About page, we'll arrange for the station to send tickets out to you. Thank you very much to, for talking to us today, Emily Siddons. It's very, um, uh, it sounds like an extraordinary exhibition. Uh, are, you, are you following it around the world yourself? No, unfortunately not. We we know we create our baby and we <laughs> to let it go. goes around the world. So <laughs> we hope that our visitors uh, enjoy it as much as um, you know our visitors in Melbourne have. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Great. Thank you so much for having me. See you later. Bye. See you. Well, now here's a couple of messages from our sponsors and then we're going to come back with a story with Will and Dr. Gabe about Ern Malley. Excellent. Good morning, everyone. I'm back here with Dr. Gabe North. Good morning, Gabe. Hi, Will. This time we're not in any exotic location. We've been in country New South Wales. We've been all over the place. We're actually in the RPP sound booth in a spare one. There's some renovations going on in the studio. There's a new sauna being put in, mm. various other things. So jacuzzi, Will. Jacu- jacuzzi. Sorry, jacuzzi. So if there's any extraneous noise, we apologise in advance for that. Dr. Gabe has asked me to come in here this morning because you've got something to show me. What have you got? Well, it's a simple little picture, Will. And uh, it's a very simple line drawing, but I wondered whether you could describe to uh, the listening audience the uh, picture that you're you're looking at. Well, it's a line drawing that I'm... I know it's been signed at the bottom, but it's just one that you're tempted to hold up the other way. It's upside (laughs) down. It looks like a man in a hat, and it looks like there are 
some musical notes or something. Mm, the it's a blue line drawing and it's signed Nolan. Indeed it Can is. Can you tell us what this is? Yeah, that's actually a line rendering of Ern Malley. And Ern Malley, a very famous Australian poet, um, just before the Second World War came to prominence. Uh, his sister Ethel was the one who actually uncovered the works of Ern Malley. And uh, Ethel, um, who Ern's sister, found a whole series of Ern's poems after his death in 1943. He was only 25 when he died of Graves' disease and she submitted his body of work, or at least some samples first off, to the editor, Max Harris, who was the editor of the Angry Penguins Literary Journal. Have you heard of Ern Malley? Look, I have. I know that our brief in this series of The Profound Thread is that we have to use our imagination and I do know a bit about Ern Malley, and is that not precisely what we have to be using to consider Ern Malley? Indeed. In fact, what we're talking about, for those uh, who uh, haven't picked up on Will's cryptic comments, is that Ern Malley was a fictitious character. In fact, Robert Hughes calls it the greatest literary hoax of the 20th century because Ern Malley didn't exist. He was the uh, uh, the child, if you like, the creative child of two young chaps uh, in Victoria Barracks in Melbourne and uh, that's James Macaulay and Harold Stewart, a couple of conservative Australian poets in their own uh, spare time who wanted to take the mickey out of the modernist poets. So what they did was contrive a series of poems which were actually a pastiche of various various uh, literary works such as Shakespeare, Keats, Eliot and thrown in the, the Oxford Dictionary and crafted a number of poems under the name of Ern Malley which he wanted Max Harris to take, they wanted Max Harris obviously to take the bait and print them in the Angry Penguins Journal which they subsequently did. Uh, I remember the scandal. I've read about the scandal at the time, and it was a huge scandal. I know that the edition of the Angry Penguins uh, magazine, when it came out, they actually commissioned Sidney Nolan to uh, paint a picture. Do you know about the picture on the front cover? Yes, indeed. That's a beautiful work uh, of art and uh, a very famous one. In fact, Nolan subsequently did a number of um, images which were devoted to the subject of Ern Malley, and... Um, he wasn't the only one. So the, I suppose where we can tie in the profound thread in this regard, uh, Will, is that Ern Malley, while he was fictitious, ended up inspiring a whole series of works of art, including the Archibald Prize-winning Gary Sheed's Ern Malley series, which depicts Ern Malley as a Christ-like figure. And his contention was that... Um, all creative people in this material world are inevitably sacrificed and Ern becomes a surrogate uh, Christ which actually weaves in religious martyrdom that came to prominence in the Renaissance period. Well, I think uh, poor old Max Harris, well, he was a young Max Harris mm, back then. Yeah. I think he was in his 20s. Indeed. And he was um, right at the forefront of uh, this alternate... Uh, art movement and uh, he was pretty well sacrificed himself in the scandal and I think he was the only one that got, got into trouble he was prosecuted Indeed he was he was for publishing obscene material because the very puritanical society particularly in Adelaide at that given time um, saw the published works of Ern Malley in Max Harris's publication in Angry Penguins and took uh, offence and so poor Max Harris was put in the docks and asked to 
to uh, defend the work and prove that it wasn't obscene. Um, Max actually ended up um, getting fined. I think it was the princely sum of five pounds plus a uh, uh, some sort of um, suspended sentence for a few years um, as a consequence of the trial. And uh, as a 20-year-old, that must have um, been quite quite a, uh, an awakening. In fact, he ended up um, defending. Um, the, the whole situation for the next 40 years of his life. Well, the, the, the current thinking is that um, Macaulay and Stewart, the creators of Ern Malley, um, uh, were probably a little bit too smart for their own good because in later years, and certainly in my memory, when Max Harris was an older man, he was revisiting Ern Malley and actually uh, Robert Hughes the same and there was an appreciation of the work that was created by uh, intended to be um, an elaborate practical joke but in fact uh, the value of the work itself was appreciated quite strongly by Max Harris later who he said that sometimes the myth is greater than oh, than its creators. Absolutely. In fact, I think the greatest uh, irony in the whole Ern Malley hoax is that in the Oxford Book of Australian Poetry, um, there is uh, no work of Max Harris's. There is no work of James Macaulay's. There is a little bit of uh, the poetry of Harold Stewart. But, of course, the person who is most featured with a number of poems in that particular publication is Ern Well, I guess in a modern, uh, uh, it's ironic, isn't it? And probably in in modern times, we see the same thing with um, uh, somebody called Norman Gunston. Everyone (laughs) remembers Norman Gunston. And of course, uh, we know Gary MacDonald, but he seems to be lesser known than Norman Gunston, who was his creation. Absolutely, the avatar if you like. And look, I think um, the interesting thing that comes out of the Ern Malley hoax is that while the editors, which uh, was obviously not just Max Harris but um, John and Sunday Read as well, they really did look like prized dopes when the the Ern Malley hoax was exposed and that they had been lauding Ern Malley. He was eulogised as one of two giants of contemporary Australian poetry. So they certainly had egg on their face. But the prevailing thought at the time, Will, was that somehow this retarded the growth of Australian modernism because uh, the piss was taken out of it, when actually what comes out of it is a beautiful, a glorious legend, and it ended up inspiring so many modernist works. Well, genuine art is designed to provoke a reaction, and how you get that reaction uh, varies amongst different artists. If you want to slaughter a cow on the steps of Parliament House, or if you want to put a plastic crucifix in a jar of urine, or if you want to create a hoax modernist poet, um, the reaction was there. And the modern take on this, in my view, is that the act that they took in an elaborate practical joke was actually an act of artistic creation in itself and so effective was it that it probably was over the heads of the creators themselves you totally agree it took on a life of its own as did Ern Malley of course so um, I suppose what comes out of this in terms of um, 
uh, critique of is is not a critique of Australian modernist poetry, but how such an event inspired a chain of events that um, results in the legend that we have today and the beautiful oeuvre of um, uh, artworks not only by Nolan but by Gary Sheed. So uh, uh, we can we can be very grateful to James McCauley and Harold Stewart for their creation. Well, I think so, and um, it, sometimes it takes all of the participants to have passed on before these things can be looked at as a whole, and the event itself was a spark that created a movement that created a controversy, and then can we can now look back on it as we do so often on the profound thread, looking back at how these things are connected. So for me, Ern Malley is, is one of the great figures of Australian art history, probably world art history, even though he didn't exist. Indeed, and I'm looking forward to creating my own controversy once the 3RPP uh, jacuzzi is in place. So stay tuned. We might uh, do a future edition of The Profound Thread um, in uh, partially submerged and naked. Well, I look forward to that for sure, and I think we could probably get Swanee involved in that <laughs> as well. I know he'd be up for it. So why don't we sign off? Thanks again, Dr Gabe North. It's another edition of The Profound Thread, and we look forward to doing some more next time. Excellent. Lovely to talk to you, Will. We'll go back to you in the studio. And now it's time for John Hall. Forgot to put, forgot to put our mics on. The, uh, John, just before we begin, um, I'm, I'm surprised that James, whatever his name was, and the other guy didn't try to write more poetry in the same vein. Uh, well, these postmodernist uh, theory would tell you that um, they, in fact, were writing poetry with with snippets of other po- poems put together yes. in in a way that they thought might please someone or alarm someone. Mm. So, uh, but they didn't keep doing that because the whole thing kind of blew up in everyone's face. Really, what uh, year was it? When, when in the nineteen forties. Nineteen forty. Okay. Because yeah. I know uh, Dylan Thomas apparently used to write a lot of his poems. He'd write them in, uh, in one way, and then he'd write them in reverse, oh, and yeah. so he'd get the, he he had more effect by oh, writing okay. in reverse sometimes. So just mm. by changing the words around. Dylan Thomas, the master of silence. The master. <laughs> <laughs> mm. So we're go- we're moving on to the fabric, John. Um, up at the top end of Burke Street, uh, where Pellegrini's is, yes. and uh, the Florentino Wine Bar, um, there is also, or was, no more is, but was, uh, the Job Warehouse, yes. which is a uh, big fabric kind of uh, shop, a big, huge supply of rolls of fabric in there, and um Generally speaking, just one old chap in there looking after the yeah, business. He was a bit scary, actually. I was always a bit terrified to go in there. He was well. He was gruff. Yes, you needed to know exactly what you want. You couldn't go in and look. I went in not knowing what I wanted, but Ooh, I had decided that uh, I wanted a bit of um, brocade, English brocade, to um, cut up and stick on a painting. And I thought I might be able to get a little bit of that there. And uh, I asked the gruff man whether or not he had any English brocade and he said I have some French and uh, we went out the back and as he said you know I'm going to have to schlep all this stuff out of here and it's way down the bottom and I hope you really know what you're talking about and you're going to have to buy some of this by the time I've worked to get all this you only wanted about half a metre of course didn't you well you wouldn't sell less than a metre right 
but we got this roll out in the end and it was absolutely beautiful in a kind of indigo blue um, with uh, gold fleur-de-lis and uh, white and off-white pointed stars was really quite beautiful and furniture fabric mm-hmm. uh, so quite heavy uh, and he said to me how much of this do you want because he could see that I was delighted by it yeah. and I said well as little as I can buy and he said well that would be a metre I said well how much is it a metre and he said $240 yeah. a metre Yeah. and I was frightened by that amount of money at the time <laughs> and I said I can't afford it I can't afford to pay that and uh, so he complained that he was going to have to schlep everything around again and put it back but I went away and I thought about it and I thought uh, I can do it, but it just means I'm not going to have any money for a week or so, you know. So I went back. <laughs> this is where things got difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and he threw his arms in the air and you could see he was thinking about it. Is it worth my while? Yeah, just for two Just, you know, for one metre of this stuff, you know, after we've got it out and put it away again and, you know, can I trust this person? And uh, anyway, eventually we both went down there. I gave him a hand and we got it out again and I bought a metre of it. I had no money left uh, in the world, as it turns out. Oh, you know. my goodness. Um, I went down to the Florentino wine bar to see what was going on down there. It was a Friday evening and instead of the normal um, architects and artists that are there on a Saturday, it was full of journalists and uh, um, other people, other types, and uh, I was showing them all this bit of fabric. Everyone was quite amazed at how beautiful it was, and uh, the story got around the bar that this bit of fabric belongs to that fellow over there, and he's just bought it with all the money that he had in the world, so you shouldn't really buy him a drink. And uh, they continued to do that, and they bought me a lot of Negronis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And I things, do love a Negroni. <laughs> things got quite sort of bewildering. And uh, I lived at the time in a studio not far from the Florentino. If you walked uh, over the road and through past a car park and then in between the Lyceum and the Melbourne Club out to Burke Street and over the road again and down a lane, that's where I was. And uh, No ladders involved. But No ladders involved. No ladders, no, not yet. <laughs> but uh, I, I went home and I woke in the morning feeling uh, gruff and sore. No fabric. And uh, I knew it. Yeah. So I rang a friend of mine who'd been there the evening before, uh, and he had a radio show on Three Triple R, the Yorick Club, and I told him he was going to do that on that Saturday morning. And I told him that I'd lost this piece of fabric and he put the alert out over the air that I'd lost this piece of French brocade and uh, that if it could be returned to the radio station or to Florentino's, then uh, John would be very happy. And uh, about uh, three or four days later, there was a horn tooting outside my studio and a bit of a wolf whistle going on and I stuck my head out the window and there was a woman out there holding up my fabric and um, I let her in and I thanked her and uh, put the fabric down I pinned it up on the wall actually and admired it for a while 
But this point, Mark, no ladder, no, but <laughs> but I did, I had found that the building next door to me, uh, I could get access to the building through a back kind of uh, sliding goods door and the building was derelict at the time and uh, I went up to the top of the building and uh, there'd been something up there, an apartment perhaps I thought or something like that, there seemed to be a kitchen but I figured out in fact it wasn't a kitchen, it was a bar and there'd been some sort of club up there and there was no one there and I kind of moved in a bit and I pinned my bit of fabric up on the wall and I uh, I knew a man who from the science club who was a locksmith and we changed the lock on the front of the building and I had access to it and I was loving it. Mm. I had a terrific time in there until one morning there was a note on the door that said, please bring this number. If you're trying to enter this building, please bring this number and the lock had been changed again. And I rang the number and the owner of the building, Max Moore, who'd built the Hyatt Hotel, um, said, I understand you've got access to the building, you know, you've been using it, I want you to stop doing that. And I said, well, there's a bit of stuff in there, I'd like to get out. And he said, bad luck. <gasps> and uh, I never saw that fabric again. No. <laughs> <gasps> what a I'd love to, though. So if there. anybody knows where that piece of fabric is... Oh, it's probably under a pile John, of rubble. could go and buy some more. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, job warehouse is shut now. It is. I wonder what happened to Yes, that. Mark, that's it. Okay. That's it. Hmm. I, was, I was actually looking forward to hearing where that piece of fabric, well, which painting that piece of fabric might yeah, be. Yeah, I should have. Like, I, I loved that I loved it so much I couldn't cut it up. Mm. Oh, really? Mm. Okay, so <clears throat> um, have you recently filled up your car with petrol. Yes, it's very expensive, isn't it's it? It's very cheap, actually. No, Sally, it's extremely cheap. Is it? Mm. Yeah. Yes, it's gone, oh, it's gone petrol down. Petrol has? Petrol has gone oh, down. Oh, actually, I'm a diesel it's, person. It's, it's been a while since up. you put diesel in. No, it's gone up. It went up in, in October. Now it's gone down to um, the lowest price in, in 10 years. I paid $1.20 something. Right? What? Exactly. It's $1.20. What about diesel? Is it the same? It's, it's gone down as well. You oh, obviously haven't put I, petrol I'm, in for a while. Mm. But John has, so I'll just speak to John okay. about this. So, uh, uh, John, have you wondered why it's so cheap? Uh, I know that there are a, a number of things that cause fluctuation in petrol prices. Mm -hmm. uh, amongst them, the, the price of money. Um, Supply and the, demand. And the price of uh, oil overseas, I gathered, has some effect on it. Oh. How much there is in supplies locally. Uh, all those sorts of things are involved. Also, yeah. a little bit of greed, I reckon. Look, it's, it's all, it all depends on the price of a barrel in, right. uh, on, the, on the spot market. Right. It's gone down from, uh, it was up to 66. It's gone down to, no, it was even higher. It was about 80 in October. So why has it gone down? It's gone down to about 15. But the reason it's gone down so low is because of fracking. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, when you mention the word fracking in, in Australia, everybody goes, oh, they seem to freak out about it without knowing actually very much about it at all. So I'm just going to give you a quick mm -hmm. synopsis. Well, I'm sure Sally doesn't want to have um, fracking all sorts of up at, uh, poisonous kitchen. liquids forced into the ground in her front paddock. Well, no, no it's, I it's don't. Not, uh, the po it's not so much poisonous liquid. It's water and sand. Yeah. And they use a bit of gel as well now and then. But yeah. I, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm talking about where it began. It began in the Civil War in America. Did it? When they realized that they could blow up 
stuff with, um, uh, with torpedoes, and they took, they were torpedoing torpedoing canals because, which were getting in the way of the battlefield right. and there's this one guy called uh, so, uh, C- Colonel Edward A.L. Roberts um, he could see what, how, how they could do this and so he, it was called superincumbent fluid tamping right. and they realized they could actually just blow up the oil wells Hmm. and uh, get the oil out. But it was, wasn't really very productive, economically feasible, until a man called George P. Mitchell from Texas, who worked for 20 years <clears throat> with a lot of people doubting him, uh, with hydraulic fracking and horizontal drilling. So, so what did they want the oil for? This is pre-internal combustion engine. Yes. Uh, at the time, I think it was for um, e- energy use. It wasn't just for cars. It was for um, other or things. Or burning in lamps or something. Or yeah, well, he, it's, um, yeah, actually, it's a good question, John, what, what they used it for. I'm sure it, was, they had, it had its uses otherwise. Uh, maybe lubricating gears in, Could have been. in machinery. And I think they got the gas as well. Right. Use the gas, okay. but it wasn't until that he he did this in the 1990s. Oh. So that was when and and he it was with the horizontal drilling that he right. was able to get the and the hydraulic fracking. He was a, actually able to make it economically viable in the 90s. And it's since then that America has become once again a big producer of oil. Yeah. And this fact has totally changed the Saudi OPEC um, handle on on people's like the I scenario. See, is I can see Sally's different. eyes dripping. I know. I, I'm sorry. I just woke up. What? <laughs> it's totally changed the, the economic and political situation worldwide and it's having one of the reasons petrol is so cheap for most people except for Sally <laughs> is that it's because of this fracking which ah. was done by this guy George P. Mitchell okay. so there are many things to wonder about there Mark one of them is is the is the cheap price of fuel worth all that fracking uh, for me, it's not so much the cheap price; it's the idea that it, that they're stopping the Saudis and the and the rest of the um, OPEC, Russia as well, having so much power on. Well, is that on, on worth people. the environmental damage that fracking? Well, this causes? is something which is a, it's a myth in many ways because you, you know when when it's began, a, a myth. People, well, John, <laughs> look, it's it, it's very much a myth in in a lot of cases. The, you know, we remember seeing those images of people lighting up their taps, you know, because they were mm. getting the oil coming through. We haven't heard any anything about that recently no okay so you know they're talking about uh, starting fracking on farms in western australia the farmers themselves obviously um you know mining has, has dropped down so they're looking into fracking it will come here and it will be clean eventually clean enough but um, I'm not going to argue about that because I, I get myself in Clearly not. That look you just gave me. I said, know. That said, shut don't up. Don't you say anything. No, no, you can. It's just <laughs> a um, it, 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 people look at the environmental aspect, which is very important, obviously, but they don't look at the political and the economic aspect, which is extremely important as well. Well, I think they're all worth looking at. Yeah. They Every are. aspect of it. They are. So make sure you do. Okay. okay what um, else? Uh, Julian Opie at uh, new NGV downstairs. Yes. Fish swimming up um, the uh, water wall. Sorry? Fish swimming up the water wall. Uh, no, I didn't see that. Did you? No, I missed that. Well, that's what he was talking about. I heard uh, him talking on the radio about it. Okay, no, I came, I came in from behind, oh. which is, I love doing that. Um, um, very simple portraits and landscapes on computerized panels with moving elements. Endless country roads perspective, portraits where people smile or blink mm. when you're looking at them. 
So interesting. I, I, this, I would love for how do they, either. How do they do that? Their videos, obviously. I, I look, the, the technology you, behind it, I don't know. Actually, I, when I went to Bendigo and, uh, some time ago, I saw the um, uh, Marianne Sukumaran, you know, the, uh, uh, the one of the Bali Nines. Yes. Um, Fellows, who was the painter? Yes, he had done an ex. There was an exhibition of his work in there, and one of the things that he had organised was was a portrait. Of, was it like a portrait of of both he and I forgot the other guy. Yeah, the other guy, mm. uh, and he'd done a video portrait, but it actually was completely static, and you re- only realised that it actually was a film when they blinked. Okay. It was really, yes. and, the, and the expression just changed really, really gently, but well, basically it was completely still. It was really quite uh, quite intriguing. The other way of doing it, of this course, is, is with cards. Remember you used to get those cards in chewing gum packets yeah. that had the little ridges on them? Yes. And it had a, like a yes. hula girl on it, yeah. and when you moved yeah. it, her hips went backwards and oh, forth. Oh, yeah. I yeah. rather yeah. liked those. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's um, there's things like that in there. It's, ah. it's worth it's worth seeing. They're, they're quite interesting. Now there's Will Wegman, who's still around with these bloody Y Marina dogs. Uh, he's opening up an exhibition on the seventh of December. Who? Will, Will, Will Wegman and the Wyman. Don't you remember the dog? No, uh, no the, I don't know that. Oh, it's big in Europe. Obviously oh. not big here yet. But um, he's been around for a very long time. It's photos of his dog. He got a Wyman oh. dog that he loved and, and he put some dresses them up. Oh. You know, it's a bit like, um, oh. what's the name? Um, well, that sounds a little disappointing. Look, I haven't seen it. It's, it's opening up on the 7th. There's yeah. also... Uh, Depends in, on what the dog's wearing, I suppose. Well, that's it. <laughs> Indian court painting, Visions of Paradise. That's opening up on the 7th of December also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's e- M.C. Escher, the Dutch master yeah. of optical oh, yes. illusion, which opens up on the 2nd. Yeah. Oh, really? The okay. staircase to everywhere. Yes. Do you know, I stayed in an apartment in Rome many years ago that was an apartment that he had stayed in, and you could see there was a piece of stain glass in one of the walls that appears in one of his drawings mm-hmm. and you couldn't yeah. get out of the place because we <laughs> <laughs> so in, in Potterfed Square there's Ken Unsworth who's born in 1931 so he's been around for a while truly madly it's called uh-huh. so it's um, sculptural works with pianos recorded sounds skeletons quite good Quite good, all in the um, in the uh, foyer, um, all three floors. Ah. A very good show, which is really worth seeing, is the Rig Design Prize. Don't know anything uh, about it. It's uh, it's on at the second floor, I think. At, in um, it's interior design groups in separate spaces. It's all it's quite a very successful exhibition because it's dark and space, and then there's just the each particular area that people. Uh, at St Kilda Road or Bed Square. Bed Square. Yeah. Ah. And it's. Uh, Beautiful, a very beautiful show, and it, I was—I don't know why—I was quite touched by the the the, um, the exhibitions they they put on because they're creating these interior spaces with objects and quite beautiful objects oh, inside, really? paintings and sculptures, and the materials as well. The Rig Design Prize, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, Black to the Future is also a show of Aboriginal art, very good at Fed Square, except for Sally Gabori, okay. who I can't stand. Aboriginal exhibitions are very fond of puns, aren't they? What was that called? Are. Black to the Future. Oh, yes. C-L-A-K. Yeah. Um, and there's Polly Borland. Oh, yeah, the great Polly Borland. You didn't like that, did you? Oh, my God, so it's a load of rubbish. <laughs> Polyverse, really bad. I think there, she's fabulous. Up there with Cindy Sherman, Tracy Moffat, Bill Henson and company, photographers trying to be bloody creative. I can't stand it. Well, yeah. Really? No. You don't think photographers are creative? 
Uh, look, very, very rarely. Oh. There's some, like uh, Diane Arbus, yeah. um, Maplethorpe. But Tracy Moffat, I think, is just a f- fashion photographer. We're not talking about Tracy Moffat. Well, I am. I'm oh. talking, and Polly Boland's is the same. They're, right. you know, they're up there. Cindy Sherman would have to be the biggest wanker I've ever noticed in my life. Well, Cindy she, Sherman, who's about herself, obviously, yeah. and that's what you're getting at. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just the, the photography is less part of what she does. I know, she's creating these situations, she's dressing up herself and giving all these <laughs> prosthetics on and you know, showing these horrible <laughs> just horrible stuff. And she's a multi-millionaire, she's got a whole building to herself in New York. Oh, how foul. Oh, okay, well you've only got a minute. Okay, Sleeping Beauties. Yes, what's Have you that? Heard, heard no? about them? The Sleeping Giants, sorry. Sleeping, Sleeping Giants. Giants. Hashtag Assassins with Twitter. No. They're coming to Australia, they're here already and they're, they, if they don't like something or somebody, they have a, they have a Twitter war, they, they sort Oh, flood them and they get onto yes. their sponsors and they stop for example Alan Jones of 2GB has been attacked by the Sleeping Giants how do you get oh. disliked do you deserve by being... saying something wrong or oh. by producing by um, uh, mostly they attack the advertisers who are funding these people well you better be careful I know well that's, that's what I thought this guy he's, look, I mean it, it is up. inevitable I think actually in a way is well, that people it. would learn how to arm themselves against this well, yeah the thing, this is, and there are Anonymous. Yeah. This is the thing. They can attack, and that apparently you can just be 10 people, and you can get these Twitter um, um, floods going on, and you can really have an effect on what's going on. Now, just the last thing, mm-hmm. the biological um, computer is coming, and they've called, they're called mini-brains, yeah. and they're using, cell, neural, they're using brain cells to make mini-brains so they can then... Um, make mini-people experiment on to see just how our brain works and it's going it's, I'll speak about this next year it's going mm. to be it's, it's an extremely dangerous they'd be better uh, off making great big people they're better at carrying things around they are but they just want to um, keep it keep it low it's like a you know, well, I suppose they don't take much to feed do they mini people no you don't, well it's just a brain it's not you don't have to feed it well, so what anyway, does a little brain use, do? Does it sit in a petri dish? Exactly. Thinking? This is what they're saying. They can make them. They can make these brains. They can exist anywhere. They can exist in a petri dish, and they're worried about what's going to happen next. But, but what's the point? The point is to study how how our brain works, no. and the and the, the, that they've got the possibility of making biological something real, something alive, just right. out of our... Frankenstein, our, here we come. Mary Shelley is onto it. create small ideas. Hey, if you've just tuned in, you've missed Arts About, and it's the last one that we're doing live for the year, so, uh, but you can hear our repeat on Wednesdays at 12, and of course, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, we've got a whole series of different shows uh, coming to you over the over the holiday season. Will and Swanee are presenting their Arts About Light until Christmas time, and we're, then after that, we're going to be bringing you some of our highlights of different interviews and stories that we've run throughout the year. Arts About is available on air, streaming from the station website or the RWP phone app. And we also podcast the show on a Wooska pod- podcast address you can find by checking into the Facebook page. Go to the Facebook page and look for my website. Oh, of course. Yeah, now John has a new website where he's going to be exhibiting, his, will be showing his paintings. And I think there's an Instagram attached to it as well. They're attached oh, to each other. Yeah, good. And, and your website was made by someone called Mr. Webb. 
Uh, he helped me with it, yeah. Yes. Hilarious. That's great. <laughs> well, we'll put links on our Facebook page for that as well. Uh, Arts About will be on again same time next week in a slightly different format. It's our summertime format. And remember, everybody, we may not know everything about art. But we do know some things. Photography is not art. Yeah. <gasps> well, like them's fighting words, Mark. I'm trying to behave like a tiny brain over here. I'm imagining yeah. what it's like. I'll, I'll give you this article. Beware. See you later, everybody.